think about the songs that we have been singing the last few weeks, and especially today, You Are My King, Revive Us Again, um, the one my wife just sang. Uh, there's a focus and emphasis that I believe that you and I are looking at directly at the Lord's Table celebration in 1 Corinthians 11. And I think that the Lord's Table in our society today has become um, just something you're supposed to do. And I, I, I myself have been just in awe of my study of this, and I pray that God has shown you some things uh, on the amazement that we partake in this, this, the Lord's table celebration. I will give you a heads up. Um, we have uh, this message and one more, and we will finish this text. But before um, we step into chapter 12, which will begin... Uh, a study in uh, spiritual gifts, actually 12 through 14, we'll be dealing with it. Um, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to say that I'm going to take some time because I'm not sure how long. Um, it's become very apparent to me uh, with the change of people in this church, um, and I'm talking about you who are sitting there, that I need to stop and reaffirm to you um, what your life is. Um, and, and I guess what I would call it is um, a life of grace that you who are saved already have. Uh, too many today don't seem to know that. But it's not new. Please, please, I don't want you to feel like, well, how's come I'm so dumb? Paul wrote to Galatians and said, Have you be what uh, you began in the spirit, you now perfect in the flesh? Uh, and, you know, I, I see a lot of people who are trying their best for Jesus, and he didn't call you to that. Uh, my prayer among these pastors that were troubling to me uh, was very, very short. Probably one of the shortest prayers I've ever laid before the king. Um, Lord, may we decrease and may you increase. Okay. And I would like to tell you that I planned this and I had this great scheme, but I didn't. And then when I look at what we're in here in Corinthians 11 and then moving into 12, um, I, I, the more I see it, the more God has laid it on my heart. I need you to teach him what my living grace is about. So... Uh, we got two messages to conclude Corinthians 11, and then we will take a break. Um, and like I said, I don't know how long, um, but you will see that it will tie straight into Corinthians 12. Um, you know, I, I was going to teach uh, four messages um, on the Bride of Christ a few years ago, and it ended up being 15 or 16 weeks, something like that. So uh, I, I don't know. Okay? I want to read the word of the Lord to you. Verses 17 through 34 of 1 Corinthians 11. And then uh, we will pray. And we will ask our Savior, our Sanctifier, our King, our Friend to teach us. 
But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you you just despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the cup is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we, are, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But, we, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining manners, matters I will arrange when I come. Father, I just, I just praise you for this text. Father, I praise you for this letter to the Corinthians. Lord, in the amazement that exists. Father, I ask that they hear you, your spirit indwelling your people, will show us the amazement of this text. And Father, that it will no longer be one of those that we know. Father, it would be one of those that overwhelms us. That, Father, causes us to decrease and you to increase. Father, let us draw to you and you alone. Help us to understand. Help us to rest and help us to be used up as a drink offering for your glory and your majesty. In Christ's name, amen. Um, This is the fifth message, actually, in this study. Pretty good, considering that I've only got three points. Um, And it's dealing with the Lord's table celebration. Last week, I looked at John's gospel, the sixth chapter, verse 51, where he 
expresses to the Jewish leaders that he is the bread from heaven. He who would eat this bread shall have eternal life. Um, that the Lord's table is almost birthed out of that, is laid out of that because it is the receiving of him that salvation comes. You've heard me say this before. There are billions and billions. There's an infinite number of ways to come to Jesus Christ. One way to God through Jesus Christ. You don't get there any other way. Uh, And so when I partake of the Lord's table, it is the reconfirming of that covenant. And I'll deal with that in a moment. Okay? But it is also communion. Uh, I'm going to take you back a few weeks, actually probably a few months, to the 10th chapter, 16 through 18. And you'll see there is not the cup of blessing, which we bless as sharing in the blood of Christ, Okay, and he's talking about the Lord's table. When I partake of that cup, it is the cup of what? Blessing. And I'll deal with that in a moment because it is a cup. It was a little, a literal cup. It was a cup that was set at the Passover meal. It's called the cup of blessing, the Kaddish. It's a cup of blessing, red wine. And you drank it. And you drank and you partake of this. It was a cup of God's blessing. Okay. Is that not... That cup of blessing, is that not his blood? Since there is one bread, verse 17 says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Why? We're all partaking of the one body. Some people will teach that when you partake of that little cracker, unleavened bread, that it literally becomes his flesh. That's silly. That's silly. Why? He also claimed to be a door. And I'm thinking that that wasn't literal. Right? Okay, so there's a symbol there, but don't get wrapped up. I mean, we looked at this last week in in John 6. The Jew says, well, how can we all eat of him? He ain't that big. Okay, and that's the darkness of men's heart. Why? I shared you this last week. When you say, I am taking of the body of Christ, the Greek language and the mindset of the day said, when I speak of the body, I'm speaking of all who the man is. Okay? From his virgin birth to his death and his resurrection. Okay? So when he says, in remembrance of me, it isn't, oh yeah, 2,000 years ago. Or, oh yeah, Mel Gibson did a movie about this. Okay, it is to draw back to the presence, the very presence of Jesus Christ, all that he is, all that he says, all that he has done, all that he will do. And you draw all of it. So when I'm I'm in remembrance of him, it isn't this, oh yeah, I remember. It is to literally draw to the very essence of who he is. So when you are partaking of the Lord's table and you have this thought that says, I wonder if my pot roast is burning. You have sinned before a holy God. Why? Because he said, my body is all, all that I am. And there was a reason that I did this. And we looked at this last week. What was it? For you. It's for you. Do you know that God became incarnate not because he was bored in heaven? Do you know why God became incarnate? 
Okay, let me tell you, you got to make this personal. It was for you. When I study this text, I can say that his virgin birth, born in a manger in a stall, laid down in a little stone pit that they fed animals out of, that was for me. When I think about Herod killing the firstborn in Israel, it's for me. It's for me. When I think about him walking among his disciples, when I think about Judas betraying him with a kiss, when I think about for 30 pieces of silver he was turned over, when I think about people uh, hanging a thorns on his head and the, the, the vascular system that will exist in your scalp and the massive amounts of blood that would have come out of those wounds, when I think about them throwing and beating his back raw and I think about him throwing a robe over it and then sucker punching him and spitting on him and then pulling that robe off with that coagulated blood on there and the pain that he suffered, that's for me. That is what you think about when you go to the Lord's table. That's what you think about. Why? His substitutionary death for me. Him paying the penalty due me. I was due that. I was due that for eternity. I should have to pay the penalty of my sins forever and ever and ever. And when I partake of the Lord's table, Paul is saying, the night that he was betrayed, it's for you. It was for you. But do, doing that, knowing that there's communion there, knowing that he is present there, knowing that it reminds me of the fellowship that I have with him, knowing that it brings me into a bond with each and every one of you when I come with the Lord's table. Why? One body. How many? One body for you. It's for you. We have to remember this, brothers and sisters. His total incarnation was for you. His suffering for you. Why? He wants you to be in heaven with him. And he realized you have no ability to get there. So here, for you. And he says, because I did this for you. Will you do this for me? Will you do this for me? What is that he would have me do? Remember. Bring it back to remembrance. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to celebrate this time. I want you... Now think about this for a second. I want you to celebrate my incarnation. I want you to celebrate my suffering my anguish, my heartache, and my death. And I want you to celebrate my resurrection. Why? It's for you. Will you remember that for me? Will you remember that for me? Have you ever thought about these? Verse 26, look at that one real quick. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Do you take the Lord's table as a, as a time of great hope? Okay. Listen, if you're not bringing him into remembrance, it's not a time of great hope. I mean, if you're worried about whether your pot roast is cooked or your goose is cooked, if you're worried about that or whether, you know, I got a slow leak in one of my tires, I need an oil change, tomorrow I have to start work, and this bonehead that I work with, and you're doing this and you're partaking of that, you know what Paul says in verse 20? You ain't taking the table. You ain't taking the table. You may go through some little ceremony, but it is not the oneness of Jesus Christ. To the point he told the Corinthian church, guess what? You have perverted the Lord's table in such a way that it would be better off that you as a church shouldn't even meet. (laughs) Now grab that one for a minute. I shall build my church in the abode of the dead. Can't stop it. But you guys in Corinthians shouldn't even be meeting. Why? Because you've taken what I've given you and you've corrupted it. Why? Do you ever partake of the Lord's table anticipating His soon return? Did you know that He said, I will never take of this vine until I am with you? We're down here doing what? Remembering, and He's waiting. He's waiting for Dad to say, go get him. He's not partaking of the supper. Why? He said, I won't partake. Till I do it again with you. But I want you to do it for me. Do it, remember it to me. Clear out the clutter. And remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. Why? How many of us walk to the Lord's table and say, This is special? This is sacred. I wonder how many walk into it and say, This is serious. This is serious. I shared with you, Dr. MacArthur does not have the Lord's table except on Wednesday nights. Okay. Rumor has it that when he taught through this text, they had a Sunday morning worship uh, Lord's table. Okay. But normally at Grace Community Church, if you want to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's done on... Wednesday night. Let me ask you a question. Look in Christendom today. Better yet, take a mirror and look and ask yourself a question. How important to you is the Lord's table? Okay. I got in some trouble a couple weeks ago on women prophesying and praying. (laughs) What can I say? I just give the Bible. All right. Do you know that the word prophesying is the same word that you see in 26? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think women ought to preach. I think women ought to partake of the Lord's table and they will. Kind of interesting thought, isn't it? No, I like to stand up and be a what? Then you go back to 10, 16, and you see there that it is a oneness that is in the Lord's table. You know what? (laughs) One of the most worshipful things that you can ever do is partake of the Lord's table. Ask people today, 
co-workers, family members. You, know, you worship today and ask them what was it like. And I'm not sure that you'd ever get anybody to say we partook of the Lord's table. I remembered his life, his incarnation. And it was for me. Okay, why? It was a, we had great music, we had great videos, or we had a great, I don't know. Okay? But they had perverted this. If there's a oneness in the body of Christ, this is my body for you. How can you be divisive? How can you be divisive? And yet, he says, you know what? There will be division. Why? Because some people need to be exposed. Need to be exposed. I looked at this and I kind of touched on it a little bit. That if I look at 23 through 26, and then it's sandwiched between 18, 20 through 22, and 27 through 34. It's almost like you have this glorious, beautiful text sandwiched book in between some serious ugliness. Okay. The first book in is this divisive schisms and that Paul says, you guys shouldn't even be coming together. And the second book in that you look at down here is God's chastening and discipline to the point that some were ill, some were weak and feeble and some had literally died. And stuck in the middle of this is do this. And remember to me, why? Because of what I did for you. Remember me. And then then I started kind of moving around and it dawned on me, this is very consistent with the New Testament. John's Gospel 13 chapter. uh, Jesus stops the feast. Actually, it hasn't even started. He stops the feast. Everybody's kind of gathered in the upper room and he takes his robe off and wraps it around his waist and he washes the feet of the disciples. And in that very text is woven in, Satan entered into Judas's heart. And that's some serious ugly going on in the middle of some serious beauty glory. Okay, I mean, you have the hatred. You got the two, <laughs> the two sons of thunder arguing over who's going to be in his right and left hand in the kingdom. And here he is washing feet. He, they're worried about their position in the heavenlies. And Jesus is saying, let me show you love. Unbridled unrestrained and watch me just crank it up as this evening goes and they didn't see it I look at the cross at Calvary there is no greater what is the limit of love well you need boundaries really what boundary was on that cross They go, it says they were going by and wagging their heads. I think King James sings wagging their heads. And I'm sitting there going, what? Wagging your head? What the heck does that mean? Okay? It means they were yelling insults at him. Nah, 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 nah. If you're the son of God, get yourself off the cross. 
And he looks upon these people and says, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And the ugliness of this is the beauty of our Savior on that cross. So when I look at Corinthians 11 and it dawns on me that right here in the middle is this Lord's table. Understand that this was written before the Gospels. This is the first in print statement that God gives you and I that says, remember the Lord's table. He wrote it down. He says, remember this. This is the first time he mentions it in written scripture. When I think about the hatred that was showed to the Lord Jesus Christ and the love. I mean, he contrasted it. That's why he states it here. This is my body. Why? On the night that he was betrayed. Listen, this is no ordinary night. This is a once a year celebration for the Jews. Okay? Jews are all clearing out the clutter of life, the mundane, the heartaches of life, the maybe the illnesses that they've had to deal with, the dealing with daily food and sustenance for the family. It all gets cleared out. Why? We are going to remember a saving God, a redeeming God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. 400 years we were in slavery there. I listen to people complain about slavery. All was a slave and you brought... Listen, you ain't had nothing like the nation of Israel. They had 400 years in one shot. Over and over again. They get put in... Now, I agree. Some cases they needed to be there. You know, you kind of... You ask for it. You know, go to the book of Judges. Book of Judges will bum you out. Then you can look in a mirror and say, gee, many crickets, I'm just like every one of them idiots. But anyway, but they're celebrating God's power. They're celebrating a delivering God. It was God, their Savior. Egypt, this horrible, nasty place where you are a slave. And I'm going to take you to the promised land. What about us? How about our freedom from the bondage of sin into his kingdom? It was a night of celebration. Jesus was crucified on a Passover. His blood was the ultimate sacrifice. Why? His blood was poured out so that the angel of death would pass over you and me. In Luke 22, verse 7, it says that night they were eating the meal. Okay? If you take the four Gospels, I was going to do this and then it dawned on me there's no way I can pull this off. If you take the four Gospels, you'll literally see the Passover feast. You'll see what is celebrated this very day. The Kadesh. First cup. You know what that is? Cup of the blessing. The, the father or the leader would take that cup. He'd hold it up. He'd give a blessing. And he'd share it with everybody that was there. Usually red wine. And it symbolized, that red wine symbolized the blood of a lamb. Four cups sitting there on a table. He got done with that first cup. They'd have what I call appetizers. Okay, Horaseth. It's, it's bitter herbs and fruit sauce. We've had it here. We've had it. And it's bitter herbs and fruit sauce. It's sort of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, 
And that's the way it is. It's, but, but why? Because God, at the time of the Passover, was saying, here's how nasty this sucker is, but how sweet this is going to be. How sweet this is going to be. I think about John in the book of Revelations where he eats the scroll and he said it was bitter and sweet. Why? It's all coming to an end. I read the end of the conclusion of the age and it is awful, but it is great. I mean, I read that and say, hallelujah. Should a lot of fire under us. Should. Okay, so you get this, this thing here and it's sort of wetting your appetite. But they're eating this lamb. I mean, we're talking about a lamb. Okay, now I like leg of lamb. If it's done on one of them rotisseries, you ever seen those rotisseries? Uh, Faberware makes them and just roast that sucker. Don't ask me how I know these things. But they are really, really good. And they say, well, you got to have that mint. No, dude. You do it on one of them rotisseries. Oh, keep your mint sauce. I'm eating. Okay. I literally remember one time before I got saved, where I took and made one of them all by myself and ate the whole thing. Just sat there like a leg of lamb and eating it. Just, you know. Now, I didn't realize what I was doing, but that was good. And I, and I still love leg of lamb today. But if you don't do it that way, I don't know what it tastes like as mutton, I think. Anyway, okay. But they're having this, this festival. And after the first cup and the bitter herbs, they would, uh, they would sing. They would sing. Psalm 113 through 118. The Hallel. Okay. You, you know that word. Hallelujah. Why? It's a cup of blessing. Why? God's Savior, Redeemer. He brought us out. He did a miracle in our lives. Take that second cup and have a cracker. And they bless God. They break that cracker. Hand it out to everyone. Then they pig out. Here's the lamb. When they finished the meal, they would have the, the host would pray. And he'd take a third cup. He'd sing the rest of the Hallel. Okay, why? Well, it's usually 13 through 113 through 114. Ed may correct me on that, but 113 through 114, and then after the third cup, you do the 15 through 18. And just sing it. And it says that that night, the disciples, after they had sang, they went out as a tradition. And they had a fourth cup. You know what the fourth cup was for? It was to celebrate the coming of the kingdom. It was to celebrate that I'm coming out of this place, this nasty old Egyptian bondage thing, and I'm going to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. That's what it was originally for. But Jesus says, no, I want to change that. I want to take you out of the land of bondage, absolutely. Think about what he says. You're not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. I think it's on the front of your bulletin, isn't it? Why? I have bought you out of a kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. The father of lies. A murderer. And I have taken you and I have placed you directly where? Kingdom of light. Right now, that's the fourth cup. And he says, let me tell you about this covenant. You know what a covenant is? It's like a, a serious promise. Serious promise. He says, I have a, and he uses the word new. You know what new means? Like never existed ever before. It's a covenant Jeremiah spoke about. It says, he's going to remove the heart of stone. He's going to put in a heart of flesh. And my word will be in them. Okay? Paul says, you know what? That bugger was a mystery. 
in the letter to the Ephesians. It's a mystery. It's been revealed. This is amazing stuff. I studied this and never did see this thing. But I was cruising up to Damascus one day, had an attitude problem going on, and Jesus says, let me reveal something to you, Paul. Okay? You who are saved this day understand a mystery that mankind can't comprehend this day. Natural man does not understand the things of God. And when you come to partake of the Lord's table, that's exactly what you're doing. He took that cup. That's what he's doing at the Lord's table. He took the bread as a symbol out of Egypt. He added it, this is my body. This is a cup. It's no longer the blood of these lambs over the doorposts and the lentils. This is blood. Okay, my body, it was for you. My blood, it is for you. Why? That blood of that lamb kept the angel of death from the, people, the nation of Israel. Okay, my blood will keep the angel of death from all who believe. By that, Jesus transformed the Passover into the Lord's table. Now, when you remember, when you draw that back, I don't have to run back to Moses and Egypt. I only have to go back to that night. And in that 33 years that God said, I will walk among men. See, the Passover only provided a physical release. You got that? That night when they ate of the Passover, the angel of death came by, and that was, uh, to use a, a, a phrase, the proverbial straw that broke Pharaoh's back. All of the firstborn of Egypt died that didn't have that blood over. That is physical. What did he, what did he say? I am releasing you. Get out of my sight. Didn't he? Physical release. You are no longer slaves. You're going to go out here. I'm going to take you and I'm going to lead you. It's a physical release. What happens now when you look at the blood of Jesus Christ? I am no longer a slave to Satan. I am no longer a slave to my flesh. I am no longer to the ruler of this age. I no longer am afraid of the principalities and powers or fortresses. I am a child of the king. I am an heir to existence. And it was all because some blood. Okay? I want you to think about something. The Passover had this physical aspect to it. Jesus' death has an eternal release to it. My word will set you free. You are free indeed. That is the contact point for God as Savior, as Deliverer, as Redeemer. And I celebrate it when I partake of the Lord's table. My body, all that He is, all that He does. You ever think of that? I always, I just, I wrote this down. Just really cool. Remember when Moses was up and talking to the bush? Not George, the other bush. Okay. He was up to the bush and he says, I want you to go to my people. And he says, who will I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I always, that's just, what? That's the corniest thing I ever heard. 
Okay? But I am means I am self-sufficient. Okay? Listen, only one entity can say that. You are not self-sufficient. I don't care who you are. Okay? We can't create nothing. We can build things. You ever heard that joke, right? The scientists decided they're going to tell God, we've got this thing going down with invertible, and what are they, in feeder, in feeder, where do they make babies and you don't have to have people? Yeah. Yeah. In vitro fertilization. We can do that. We've got the DNA thing down. So we can go tell God we don't need him no more. And God says, really? And he says, yeah, we don't need you. We can do everything you can do. And he says, well, okay, prove it. And so the guy starts to get a little pile of dirt together, and God says, uh-uh, that's mine. <laughs> okay? We can create things. Can we? No, God creates. Out of nothing is something. All right? We take some of, some of the things and we make things. All right? But when we think about who he is, the I am, grab this for a second. I am for you. You got that? I am. My incarnation is for you. Everything I suffered it's for you. It's all for you. The blood of the covenant. It's for you. He Listen, he didn't need it. Okay? I hate to break the news to you people. I love you very much. He doesn't even need you. So when he says, bring it back to remember, it's just the fullness of the conscious mind. That would be my mind, soul, heart. The consciousness of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Okay? Verse 25 says this, same way. <laughs> same way what? He took the cup. Okay? A new diatheke. One like it's never been around before. Covenant, promise. I'm, I'm going to try to explain this without getting too bizarre. Um, the cup represents the new covenant. The old covenant, okay, was ratified by the blood of animals. Okay, whichever one you take, some animal sitting there minding its own business, boom, got its blood spilled to ratify a covenant. The new covenant is ratified also by the blood of Messiah. Okay, now I'm going to try to get this as practical as I, I can understand this, Okay. You think about it. <clears throat> when you sign a, a document to ratify that document, to agree to that document, it could be a personal check. Did you know that? If you write a personal check down there where you sign it, you know if you send a personal check to the credit card company and you don't sign it, it's really comical? <laughs> anyway. Okay, but <laughs> just something I experienced. Um, <laughs> so I experienced does not validate truth. Um, if you buy a car or a house, you sign a contract. That contract is absolutely useless piece of paper until you what? Sign it. Credit cards. If you go to, well, anymore, credit cards, you don't have to sign anymore, do you? Um, it used to be credit cards, you had to put your name down on it. An insurance policy, right? Um, when the Congress passes a bill, it has to be ratified by the president. He signs it. And what will he do? What will you do? You always take a pen and it has ink in it, 
And through that fluid, you ratify that promise. If it's a check, I'm writing this piece of paper and this check is worth whatever the amount that I wrote on there. Uh, If the president does that with a bill, um, okay? So basically what it is is a product for some money. It's what you and I would understand a covenant as. A covenant was ratified by a fluid, by ink. A promise ratified by the ink. In the Old Testament, it was ratified by fluid, blood. Okay. In the Old Covenant, God said, I will lead you to a promised land. I will pass over your house. I will not execute your firstborn okay, if you will sign on the dotted line. The dotted line is up and over your door. Okay? The threshold and the lentils. Sign on the dotted line and I will pass over you. What will we sign with? Blood of a lamb. Kill the lamb, put it on your door. The blood ratified the covenant. God, do your part, we'll do our part. You see it throughout the Old Testament, don't you? All over the place. God continued to say, you have to ratify the promise in blood. Sacrifice an animal after animal after animal after animal after animal. Had it become mechanical, didn't it? The blood flowed to the land of Israel throughout its history. Jesus said, this is a new covenant. God is making a new promise, a new contract, a new last will and testament, if you would. What is the promise? It ain't like the old one. Because the old one was of the law. You have a new one. You have a new one. See, the old one, you have to do this sacrifice thing. And, I, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, can the bull, blood of bulls and goats take away sin? Nah. No. And if you don't believe me, ask the bulls and goats. Here's the new one. Jesus says, the new one. Jesus says, I have a new covenant for you. A new contract. I need you to sign on a dotted line maybe. I will forgive all of your sins for all time. Let's be realistic. That's new. <laughs> right? The Old Testament, they weren't forgiven. You kept going in. Day after day after day after day, the blood run. Why? Ah, man, I got mad at my neighbor. I'm going to go over and kill this pigeon. I will make one sacrifice forever. His one sacrifice. His one ratification by blood will conclude the sacrificial system. And it did. It did. Hasn't happened since 70 AD. God said, I'll give you total forgiveness forever. I'll give you eternal life. So when you read this and you go, it's a new covenant in my blood. Do you understand what you just said? It ain't never existed before and hold on to your socks because this is a covenant that will literally change your life. It's, just, it's, it's as if on the cross or from the cross, Jesus was taking his blood and signing on the dotted line. It's a new covenant. It's a new promise. 
The blood of Christ, not of lambs. And you don't have to put it on the doorpost. It's not to take you to a land of milk and honey, but it's going to take you to heaven. I will forgive your sin forever. Forever. Paul wrote to church in Colossae, says, Your sins have been nailed. And it literally, the phrasing there says, The debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. I'll forgive it all because of Christ and the new covenant. If you look at your Bible, you'll see it's split in to the old and the new. You know what that word is in the Greek? Diatheke. You call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. You could literally say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You could say this is the Old Promise and this is the New Promise. The Old One was ratified by bloods of bulls and goats. The New One is ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Repeatedly, over and over, Passover. Those who would partake of the Passover meal is saying, I have sinned again and here is my sacrifice. I need you to redeem me over and over and over again. Help us, help us, help us. Now we just remember. Now we bring it to mind. Now we understand it. Let me tell you something about this. Anybody here struggle with sin? Just when I'm alive. Right? Okay. People ask me, they said, do you ever struggle with sin? I literally had people ask me that. Well, duh. Yeah, I do. Have you ever been in situations where you had to try to make a decision? Yeah, I have. I live there in that place. Well, Well, how do you do it? Under the new covenant. See, when I get myself in a position, and we don't wake up in the morning and say, now how close to sin can I get without getting into the bugger? All right? Now listen, if you're doing that, you need to repent now. Okay? But there are times when you're cruising along, minding your own business, sort of like the guy's lamb, and somebody wants to sacrifice you. Right? Listen, you have an enemy who's trying through the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life to embarrass you so you will shame your God. And he is unrelenting. He will not cease. Everybody says, well, you need a time of rest and relaxation. It ain't on this side of the cross. (laughs) It ain't there. I won't go to heaven. Okay, until that time, I'm going to fight. All right, how, Terry, do you overcome it? Easy. It's the Lord's table, people. Listen. Roman law said that you have a hole in the ground. And when you crucify this person, you take that cross and you'll slide it up to the edge of that hole. And then you'll pull on ropes because the guy's already or woman's already nailed on that cross. And you're going to lift it up. All right. You're going to have a guy on the backside. He's going to pick it up and two guys with ropes or three or four are going to pull on that thing. And that post is going to slide to the edge of that hole and it's going to drop down in that hole. Usually about two and a half, three feet. Okay? Now listen, I put in enough fence posts and I know what that's about. The bigger the fence post, the bigger it goes kuthud. Alright, if you ever buried a railroad try, to tie it as a fence post, when them suckers go in, you better have it measured because it ain't going nowhere else and you can't get it back out. How much bigger is a cross? When I am tempted by sin, I think about that hole. 
Why? Because my Savior, my Lord, my Jesus, hanging on that cross with those nails through His wrist and through His feet, when that post sunk down in there, His weight shook on those three nails. I know that there is a nerve that runs right here between your ulna and radius. It's called a brachial. Okay? And I think about a piece of iron or brass stuck through there and then BAM! Hitting that nerve. And I don't understand that pain. I can't grab that pain. I was in a a state of DKA, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. I was unconscious. I lost three days of life. I remember when they went to get arterial blood out of my wrist because they got into my brachial nerve. I'm in a state of unconsciousness and they hit that nerve and I came out of unconsciousness. When a temptation sets itself in front of me, it says stumble, stumble. I think about that hole. I think about that hole. Why? It's for me. That's for me. When I watch something on the TV that I shouldn't be looking at, I just think about that hole. When I waste time, I think about that hole. When I see people try to tempt me, when I see people want to argue with me and quarrel with me, when I see people want to deceive me or lead me astray, I think about that hole. When I wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I don't feel like talking to you. I don't feel like reading your Bible because I am so self-absorbed right now. I don't feel good. My head hurts. If it doesn't hurt, it ought to hurt. And I just feel pretty lazy today. I think about that hole. Okay. I look around at the world today and get discouraged and all the rest of it. I say, look at that hole. Once we come... In the name of Jesus Christ, we bind, our prom- we bind ourselves to the promises. His promises. Not your promises. His promises. It ain't your blood in the cup. You didn't sign on that dotted line. He signed on that dotted line. He asked you, by me signing on that dotted line, here's what I want you to do. Remember. Why? You have to think about it. You get put into a situation where there's a temptation to sin. Think about the hole. Why? He's signing for you. Every time after that, throughout our lives, we are to celebrate the Lord's table. Why? We are restating the promise. That's what we're doing. Did you know that? That's what he says. Verse 26. As often you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. I'm restating it. Hallelujah. Take the cup. I, we, are outwardly renewing the pledge. Outwardly. I mean, it's almost like you toast him. Thanks for signing. Thanks for signing. My part of salvation. Thank you. Thank you. Why? What, what is it God says? I'll save you. I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive you forever and ever and ever and ever. You do one thing. What's that? Believe. Take the bread and take the cup. Because when I take the bread and take the cup, guess what? I'm saying, you know what? I believe. I believe. Now do you understand why some are sick? Some are weak? Some are executed 
by God. I'm refreshing the valve. I'm bringing it back. I'm restating the pledge. Jesus said, do this, would you? Do this. Why? Because look at what I'm doing. Okay? People ask me, when? Look at verse 26. Often. (laughs) That's what it says. When? Often. As often as you drink. Well, how often, Terry, should I drink? How often should I partake of the Lord's table? Let me turn it to you this way. Okay? Let me ask you this. Because I get people that say, well, if you're a real church, you're supposed to do it every Sunday. Okay, if you're a real this, you need to do it here. Here's my question. How often would you like to declare his death on your behalf? How often do you want to commune with his death? How often do you want to restate his pledge, his covenant to you? How often? All the time. You know what? You can have a little Bible study in your house. Now, don't let this out. Did you know you can celebrate the Lord's table there? People freak out. You go, what? Yeah, you can. They even got these little traveling kits. You get a little fold out. It opens up. It's got little cups with all, all the rest of it like this. I really struggle when I see Christians who could care less about the Lord's table. You know, I ain't been in church. The church made me mad because of such and such and this happened and this happened. I ain't been in church. I haven't partaken of the Lord's table in like nine years. So you don't care about proclaiming his death for you. That'll get you in trouble. That's how often. How often do you want to declare his death? How often do you want to commune with his death? How often do you want to restate the pledge that his death gave you? When you do it, would you call my death into mind? Would you call all of my incarnation into mind? Would you remember me in the fullness of what? That remembrance means. Would you do that? Why? Because this is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. It's just not a communion, a oneness, but it's also proclamation. You're you're sharing the Lord's death to the whole world. You're proclaiming it. The world looks at communion and says, what in the world are they saying and doing? Somebody may say they're celebrating Jesus' death. That's right. We proclaim it. And we proclaim it. And we proclaim it. And we proclaim it. Until he comes. If you have never received Christ, Jesus, you've never been baptized into his death. You've never believed he is God incarnate. You never believed that he died a substitutionary atoning death for you. Then when you hear the message that comes right. You will hear his message because it comes right out of his supper celebration. You've already heard it. Message comes through when we proclaim it. You know, I, I was when in Russia and in front of the Russian pulpits it's, that's all written in Russian, but I know what, I figured out what it says. Okay? We preach Christ and him crucified. That's his death. Let me give you two verses real quick, or several verses. Both come out of the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9, beginning in verse 15 through 20. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Speaking of Jesus Christ, 
So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. You got that one? Old Testament, old covenant was under the law and the transgressors broke the law and were condemned. All right. We're under the first law. Those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of one who makes the covenant. It's like your last will and testament. I'm leaving you all of this. Will you do this one thing if I give you all of this? Forgiveness forever and ever, eternal life, and enter into my kingdom. Will you do that? Would you like to have that? Would you like to be an heir to that? Absolutely. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Remember me. Remember me. And all that I am and all that I am about. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated, ratified without blood. For when every commandment is spoken of by Moses to all the people according to the law, they took the blood of calves and goats, uh, calves and the goats, and the water, and the scarlet wool, a hyssop, and they sprinkled the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded. And literally, when Moses brought them the law, they scattered blood all over them. Okay? Let me show you how cool this thing is. If you go to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the 20th verse, now the God of peace. I like that. The creator of peace. Now, the God of peace, verse 20, 13th chapter, book of Hebrews, who brought you up, brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. Cool, huh? Through the blood of what? Eternal covenant. Even Jesus, our Lord. The great shepherd. God said his offering is so sufficient. I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's fulfilled. It says, I accept it. He keeps us what? Looking forward. How many times do you get wrapped up in the moment? How many times you let the things of the day beat you down? You know what you just forgot? He who ratified the covenant. He keeps us looking forward to this very day. We do it. Why? With him. Why? For him. Why? Because he said, do this. Why? Because it's for you. Simple thing. When I look at what we do with the table today, the Lord's table, I wonder if we perverted it. We remember what Christ has done. Okay. And then we call him into our conscious presence and we refresh our understanding of the covenant. We commit with him. We commune with the living Lord. We proclaim his gospel by partaking of the covenant, by partaking of the table. And we hope and anticipate his imminent return. Don't we? Or are you always going backwards? Because said, this is my body and his body would be all that he is. And right now I know emphatically that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. At the Lord's table, you've got to understand this thing. That is a special place. When we come to it, Paul is telling you and I, we better come with a special attitude. It isn't just to partake of a cracker and a cup. It is to bring into remembrance, first, his incarnation. Second, that he signed on the dotted line. And he says, I have bought you. You are no longer your own. I bought you. And I have signed here. And I have paid what was owed to have that product. That's the Lord's table. When you partake of the Lord's table, 
now each and every one of you who have heard these two messages understand the purpose of the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your table. Father, I thank you how the Passover was that shadow. And Father, in that upper room, in your holy city, you ratified a new covenant. You pointed that each and every one of us will have this point of contact with a Redeemer. Father, let us cherish it. Father, let us understand the privilege of it. And Father, let us understand the proclamation of it. Father, we proclaim our Savior's death until He comes for us. Father, we understand this day that He has not partaken since He left us. Father, may we cherish the time we have in the unity of Your Spirit as brothers and sisters who will be eternal. But Father, may we also anticipate His return that we may partake of the Lord's Supper in His visible presence. Father, in that promised land, heaven, to You, my King, my Savior, my Lord, my mediator. We praise you and thank you. Amen.